Open your Bible this morning to the book of Philippians. Philippians chapter 1. Over the first three months that we've been together, I have talked often with you about the subject of prayer. In fact, on Wednesday nights, that is almost exclusively what we have talked about together and we we have practiced together is the subject of prayer. Also, in the first three months, I've talked and we have talked together quite often about the subject of love. If you recall, the first series I did in arriving here was on four fundamental loves in the body of Christ. A love for the Savior, a love for the Scriptures, a love for the saints, a love for the sinners, for those that are lost and separated from Christ. On Sunday nights, we're doing a series right now about love, the the, the characteristics of love from 1 Corinthians chapter 13. I would encourage you to come to hear that and to be a part of that. And I bring that to your attention because this morning as we're going to look at verses 9 through 11 here in Philippians 1, both of those subjects are brought together. The subject of prayer and the subject of love. Because they were both near and dear to the heart of the Apostle Paul. And they should be near and dear to our hearts as well. So what we have here in these three verses is the privilege again to go inside and have the Apostle Paul open up the door to his personal prayer closet and allow us to listen in on what it is he's praying about. And so we get to learn from a man who genuinely loved Christ. And obviously we're getting to learn here from a from the Word of God, from the Holy Spirit who inspired him to write out and to let them know what he was praying about. And this is what he says. Verse 9, In this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve the things that are excellent in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ, having been filled with the fruit of righteousness which comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Beloved, as we prepare to look at these three verses, I want you to first notice this about Paul. That you pray for the people you love. You pray for the people you love. That's the first lesson we can gather from this from Paul. Because we have already well established the fact from the first eight verses That Paul loves this church at Philippi. He loves them. He has already told us that he carries them in his heart. That wherever he is, they are with him. That they are partakers of grace with him. He has already told us that he remembers them often in his prayers. He has already told us that he longs to see them. He longs to be with them with the affection of Christ Jesus. Paul loves this church at Philippi. And we understand that lesson that we pray for the people that we love. I have no doubt you pray for the people that you love. 
And a second lesson I want us to think about as we come to these three verses, not just that you pray for the people you love, but you pray for the things that are most important to you. The things that are most dear to your heart, that's what you will pray. That is, that's what you'll be asking God for. If you want to know your heart, if you want to know what is important to you, just take some time to look at your prayer life. And as you look at your prayer life, look especially at what you ask God for. Think about what you ask God, not just for yourself, but think about what you ask God for in regards to others. And that will reveal to you what is most important to you. So what was it for Paul? What was so important for Paul when he thought about the church at Philippi? As he remembered them, as he says in verse 4, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all. What was he offering prayer, petitions on their behalf? Well, let's look at it here in these three verses. First, I call it the request, that is the request for love. His prayer for them was a request for love. He says it plainly, and this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more. He is asking God on their behalf that their love would abound still more and more. Now there's an important point to recognize here. He's already acknowledging that love is already there. There is love in their hearts. There is love in their life. That is, there is a love there for the Lord Jesus Christ. There is a love there for one another. There is just the principle of love that is there already abiding in their hearts and abiding in this congregation here at Philippi. And I want to bring that to your attention, beloved, because a believer loves. A believer loves Christ. A believer loves the Word of God. A believer loves the people of God. In fact, just to help you see this, turn over towards the back of your Bible to 1 John chapter 4 for a moment. 1 John chapter 4. John couldn't have said it any clearer here. Notice what he says. 1 John chapter 4 verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Notice what he's saying. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Verse 8, the one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. You see the point of what he's saying? If you genuinely know God and have a genuine saving relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ, what will be true in your life is that you will love the Lord Jesus Christ. That is, you will want to spend time with the Lord Jesus Christ. You want to know the Lord Jesus Christ. You'll have the affections for the Lord Jesus Christ. You will love as God loves. Not perfectly as God loves, but you will have the same loves as God does. And beloved, may I, may I please urge you to consider this first and foremost this morning. Do you love 
Do you love God? Do you love Christ? I would plead with you to to love him, to love Christ because he loved you and he died on a cross for our sins. In fact, look back again at 1 John 4. Look at verses 9 and 10. By this, the love of God was manifested in us that God has sent his only begotten son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we love God. See, God didn't send Jesus into the world because we were going to love God. He just sent him into the world out of his love for us. We love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. That is to be the sacrifice, the substitute, the one that would satisfy the very wrath of God so that we can know the love of God and embrace the love of God. I ask you this morning, do you know Christ as your Savior and as your Lord? This is where this starts. Because as we're going to see in a moment, beloved, we really can't even love as we should unless we know Christ. God is love and the lo- God abides in us if we know Christ. But Paul had confidence, as we've already seen in the opening verses. Let's go back to Philippians 1. He has confidence that they love Christ, that there is love in their hearts for Christ, there is love in their hearts for, the, for one another. But what he's asking is that that love would increase more and more. Paul knows that there's always room for growth, no matter what area of our lives in Christ. We never arrive spiritually. We never arrive spiritually in any area of our life where we can say, you know what, I no longer, I am full to the brim in love. I I don't need to increase any more when it comes to love. I don't need to increase any more when it comes to faith. I, I don't need to increase in anything in my life. Beloved, if someone comes to a conclusion that they are now perfect and without sin, though they're saved, they are being misled. We're all in need of growing in our life. And what Paul wants here, he wants more love here in the body of Christ at the church at Philippi. And notice what he says. He doesn't even give it a specific object. He doesn't say, I'm praying that your love for Christ will grow. Or your love for one another will grow. He just says, I'm just praying, and this I pray, that your love, and I think that's, in the context is most likely dealing with their love for one another primarily but not exclusively and he's saying I just want your love this genuine love in your heart I just want it to abound more and more this was important to Paul that God's people were growing in love love for Christ love for one another I know that because just go one book back to the book of Ephesians for just a moment Go to Ephesians chapter 3. In Ephesians chapter 3, beginning in verse 14, Paul begins to speak about how he bows his knees before the Father. And that he he prays to him that he would grant you in verse 16, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and that you being rooted and grounded in love. 
listen to what he says, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. Paul is saying, look, I just, I'm praying that you will come to know more deeply the the love of Christ that he has for you, Christ's love for you. And these are people who already know about that love. They already know Christ as their Savior and Lord. He's just saying, I want you to know more about that. You could look over, look over in 1 Thessalonians for a moment. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Verse 9. He says, Now as to the love of the brethren, you have no need for anyone to write to you. For you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. For indeed you do practice it toward all the brethren who are, who are in all Macedonia. But we urge you, brethren, to excel still more. Just keep growing in this. And this is what his request. And beloved, if we want to have more love in our life, if you want to have more love in your heart, if you want to have more love and you want to see it in the life of others, then you need to ask God for it. And as I think about that, it's because I think oftentimes we have not because we ask not. Pray and ask God, as Paul does here, that your love and our love will abound still more and more. But now let's look at this prayer a little more closely. Go back to Philippians. Because you can get a wrong idea about what Paul's asking. The request is for love. Next, we all want you to see the rim of this love. That is the scope of it. Notice what he says. I'm praying that your love may abound still more and more. But notice, he says, this is how I want it to be growing and increasing. I want your love to be abounding in real knowledge and in all discernment. This establishes that rim of the request for their love. It sets it apart from the love that is taught in the wisdom of the world. Paul wants their love, now listen carefully to this, when he says they're in real knowledge and all discernment, he wants their love to be doctrinal and discerning. He wants it to be doctrinal and discerning, not this mushy sentimentality and this love by your feelings that the world teaches. He wants their love, notice first off, to increase in real knowledge. That is, he's talking about scriptural, spiritual knowledge. This is what he prays about when you think about it over in the book of Colossians. In Colossians chapter 1 and verse 9 he says, For this reason also since the day we heard of it we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will. And all spiritual wisdom and understanding, 
so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Paul just wanted them to be growing in their love, but as they're growing in their love, he wants this love to be based on real knowledge. And that real knowledge, beloved, is the scriptural, spiritual knowledge that comes from the Word of God. You want to know one of the main reasons why the United States is becoming more of a violent land land where there is less love? It's because there is a less knowledge of God and a less knowledge of the Word and will of God. Here's the point what he's saying, to truly be loving... If you're saying, if you're praying and saying, God, increase my love, increase my love for Christ, increase my love uh, for the Word of God, increase my love for the, the church, increase my love for lost people, increase my love for my children, increase my love, Lord, for my husband and for my wife, increase my love, Lord, teach me how to love better and more uh, my, my parents, Te- teach me how to love my neighbor, teach me how to love my enemies, all these things that the Bible talks about. Well, the only way you're going to know those things and increase in those things and being able to do it, as Paul is saying here, is if you have a greater understanding of the Word of God. That's when your love is abounding more and more in real knowledge. Far too often today, standards are being set aside, even in the church, in the name of love. Beloved, that's not real love. That's not biblical love. I mean, you think about God as love. But yet, when we think about God as love, that doesn't mean that God then just, in that love, just accepts everyone just as they are. He doesn't do that. But he accepts anyone and everyone who comes to him through his son, Jesus Christ. But if they don't, they don't know the love of God. And sadly, for all eternity, they won't experience the love of God. They will experience the just wrath of God for all eternity. Paul wants them to understand that as they are asking for this love and growing in this love, he wants it to be doctrinal, but also notice he wants it to be discerning. He says, I'm praying that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and in all discernment. That idea of discernment there is just saying this. I simply am warning you to grow and not only in your understanding of the word and the knowledge of the word, but even in your ability now to apply what you're learning from scripture. Apply what you're learning about love. As you're, as you're learning how to love your children, you're going to apply that. You're going to now be discerning in how you're going to love them and love your husband, love your wife, love one another. This is where he's saying this. And because see, it's very easy for us, even as believers, to get caught up in the world's definition of love, the world's demonstration of love, the world's thinking about love, and not go back to God's word. Think about this with our children. You say, I want to love my, ch- I want to love my children. Well, the world's going to say, well, just build their self-esteem. Even a need to bribe them. The Bible says they're sinners. 
and they are made in the image of God and they need to understand they're made in the image of God and that's why they're precious because they're made in the image of God. But the Bible says they're also sinners and that there's sin and there's rebellion that's just naturally in their heart and guess what? That has to be addressed. That's, that's what you're addressing in their heart. But see, the world's, not, the world's going to say that's unloving, but no, that's loving. Speaking the truth in love. Paul here wants them just to have discernment. That idea, again, discernment. It's, it's, yes, in some sense, it is talking about being able to distinguish between right and wrong. But really, it's more than that. He's saying, I want you to be able to grow in your understanding and in your love so that you're able to even decide between what is better and what is best. What is the best decision? To walk in wisdom according to the knowledge of God from the scriptures. So, that leads to the next question of, well, why? I mean, what's his purpose? Why is Paul, what's the reason here? Okay, the request is for love. It abounds more and more. And, and he wants it to have this rim of abounding in doctrinal and discernment, doctrine and discernment. He wants it to be real knowledge and all discernment. Why? What's the reason for this? Well, just notice he keeps building on the argument. Verse 10. He wants this to happen so that you may approve the things that are excellent. See, there's, there, that's part of the reason. That's part of what he's shooting for. It's not just love in itself. But he knows that if their love is abounding in real knowledge, and it's abounding in all discernment, one of the, the things that he's wanting, the reason why he wants that to happen, is so that they can approve the things that are excellent. What does he mean by that? Well... What he means by that is that they will be able to actually to differ, to even discriminate, as I said, between what is better and what is even best. What is the most excellent way, what is the most excellent choice for the honor and glory of God? You see, beloved, we are, this is what we're called to do as believers. We are called to grow in our understanding in the will of God according to Scripture, but then take that and be discerning and apply it in picking what is best. In fact, if you will, look over for a moment in the book of Romans, or Romans chapter 2. Go to Romans chapter 2. In Romans chapter 2, notice here in verse 18, where he's speaking to the Jew, and he says, And if you know his will and approve the things that are essential. You see, what it should have done for the Jews, though it didn't, is they, they, knowing the will of God should have helped them to actually approve. And that idea of approving here in Romans 2 is the same idea we find in Philippians 1, and that is being able to test. Test things that come your way. 
We're called to do that. Test so that you can know what are the essentials, so that you can know what is the most excellent thing, the most excellent, best choice in the situation. Again, just to remind you of this, over in the book of 1 Thessalonians, listen again to what Paul says here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 21. He says, he says, don't despise prophetic utterances. Don't quench the spirit. However, examine everything and examine it carefully. Hold fast to that which is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Something comes your way, you're having to look at something and decide on something. There's a decision you're having to make in your life. Even if it's some a, a biblical thing, some things that are going on in your own heart, your own personal life that is there. No, you don't want to quench the spirit. And no, you don't want to despise prophetic utterances. For us, that is despising what the word of God says. But love it, when it comes your way, you have a responsibility to test it. To examine everything and examine it carefully. Examine it according to what? According to our tradition? According to Southern Baptists? No. You test it according to the Word of God. That's why you have to be growing in your understanding of real knowledge in all discernment. So that when it comes your way, you can examine that. And that which is good and right, you hold fast to that. But that which isn't that's of evil form, you throw it away and you get rid of it. This is what he's driving for them. He wants them to be able to have that ability that is growing, that is getting sharper, where they can approve and attest the things that are excellent. In fact, this is important to Paul. That's why he says over in the book of Ephesians, in Ephesians 4, verse 14, he says, I don't want you to be like children that are just tossed back and forth. I mean, everything that comes down the pipe, it just starts throwing you around. But speak the truth in love. Grow, mature in that way. Beloved, how God's people need this so much. We need to be able to approve that which is excellent. Think about this and just think about the, the heart of Paul here. He even speaks about the importance of, of not just testing those things that are excellent, but if you take a moment look over in Philippians chapter 4, this is what he even wants you to be thinking about, dwelling on these things. Philippians 4 verse 8 says, Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence... There's that same idea, same word. If anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. See, this is what he said. I want you to be able to grow in love and so that you can love in such a way that you can test and approve the things that are true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and of good repute, that, that you can know that which is excellent, that's worthy of praise. You're dwelling on this. Thinking about this. So this is his reason. So what will be the final result? What will be the result of this prayer? If this prayer is answered and it's happening in your life, 
And it's happening in the life of this church. That is, our love is abounding more and more in the realm of knowledge and discernment. So that we are now being able to test and examine and are approving of the things that are really of excellence, that are pure and lovely and right and honorable according to to the word of God of good repute, that, that we're able to do that. What's the result of that? Look at the rest of verse 10 and and verse 11. The result is, it would be in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ, having been filled with the fruit of righteousness, which comes through Jesus Christ for the glory and praise of God. What's the result? It's a twofold result. There will be faithfulness and fruitfulness. Faithfulness and fruitfulness. The faithfulness is there at the end of verse 10. This faithfulness will be marked with being someone who is genuine and godly. If you are growing in love that is based on knowledge and discernment, whereby you are making wise decisions about the things that are best in your life and that you're facing, the result of that will be is that you will be someone who will be sincere, that is someone who will be genuine and not a hypocrite, and you'll be someone that is blameless, that is godly. And this will happen and be faithful for you. There will be faithfulness until the day of Christ. Until Christ comes. And this is interesting, this idea of being blameless until the revelation of Christ or until the day of Christ. How often Paul makes reference to this. I think about what he says over in 1 Corinthians. You don't need to turn there, but in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 4, he says, I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given you in Christ Jesus, that in everything you were enriched in him in all speech and in all knowledge, even as the testimony concerning Christ was confirmed in you, so that you're not lacking in any gift, awaiting eagerly the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will also confirm you to the end, blameless in the day of our Lord. Lord Jesus Christ. Same day he's speaking about that you'll be faithful, the real thing, genuine, godly. But also, beloved, if this is what's going on in your heart and life, that you are growing in love in this way, it will, you will not only be faithful, you'll be fruitful. Verse 11, having been filled with the fruit of righteousness, which comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. If this is what is taking place in your life, it will manifest it in your life. You'll be increasing in love, increasing in approving that which is excellent, increasing in the understanding of the word of God, increasing in your ability to be able to apply it. Being filled with the fruit of righteousness. But notice, what is the ultimate source of this? Which comes through Jesus Christ. The ultimate reason why it is that you're going to grow in love, grow in understanding, grow in discernment, grow in your ability to test and approve those things that are excellent, is because of Jesus Christ. That's why he gets all the glory and all the praise that he speaks about. It's to the glory and the praise of God. That's the ultimate goal for Paul in all things. I just want to see God glorified in your life. 
I want to see God praised in your life and he will be glorified and praised in your life when you're being filled with the fruit of righteousness, when you're living a sincere and blameless life because you are someone that is growing in your love for Christ, your love overall by the knowledge and the will and the ability and discernment from the word of God. You're being fruitful. Jesus gets all the credit. He's working in our life, glorifying his Father. I mean, ultimately, it's not about me, it's not about you, but it's about him. Everything is through Christ. So let me ask you this morning. As I said earlier, love was already there in their hearts. It was already there in their mind. How is that? Because as the Bible teaches us, the love of God by the Holy Spirit had been poured into their heart. They had embraced the love of God. That as we read a moment ago in 1 John, that was demonstrated by the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, who came and lived without sin, who went to a cross without sin. But while he was on that cross, he took our sins upon himself. He was bearing our sins. And God was satisfied with that. He was the propitiation for our sins. And I know he was. And I know he was the satisfaction for God. Because God raised him from the dead. If God hadn't been satisfied, he wouldn't have raised him from the dead. But he raised him from the dead, declaring, I am satisfied. As Jesus said on the cross, it is finished. It's finished. So, You need to have Christ. There may be some of you here today, your love, you may say, I love, but yet it's your love according to real knowledge and all discernment. Do you have a genuine, true, saving relationship with Jesus Christ? The good news is that can happen for you today. That can change for you today. If you call out to Him, if you turn from your sins and turn from the love of this world and your sin and turn to the love of God in Jesus Christ and put your faith in Him. You see, beloved, we've already read this morning, God has demonstrated His love by sending His Son who died on the cross. God is offering you His love. God is even offering you Himself. But you must take Him. You must love him. You must trust him. But let me say this before we close. If you have just for a moment, go over to 1 John chapter 2. Because here's something you need to understand. That as you're coming to God, you are also walking away from the world. You can't have a love for the world and a love for God. You say, well, how do you say that? 1 John chapter 2, verse 15. Do not love the world nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world. Now, now please read this carefully. Before You may be sitting there saying, I don't know if I want to give up the world. I don't know if I want to give up these, these things that are there. Read what the Bible says. For all that is in the world. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but it's from the world. Verse 17, the world is passing away. 
and also its lusts. But the one who does the will of God lives forever. You're trying to hold on to something that is perishing. Something that's going to lead you to an eternal destruction. Beloved, it's not worth it. Let go of it. Satan is the one that is over the system of this world and he wants you to love this world. He wants to take you down. He wants you to stay with it. Stay with him. But beloved, please, I beg you, I plead with you this morning, I beseech you by the mercies of God, please turn away from it and put your faith in Christ. Turn to the love of God that is displayed on the cross of Christ where he was dying for our sins. Put your faith in him. He is worth it. There's nothing in this world that is worth your soul. Put your faith in him. Call to him. And he will forgive you. And you will have life eternal through Christ. I want to ask you to bow your heads in prayer.